praise you. We praise your name. We praise you for your power and your strength and your ability to rescue and save. Focus our hearts on you this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today is a special day for, at least for us, to recognize our graduates. So I'm going to do that at this time. So if you are a graduate, one of our graduates, I'd like you just to come up here right now, if you could, up front. That'd be great. And don't be bashful. We're ready for you to be here. That's good. You tell me your name and what your plan is for this next year. All right. I am Britt Swanson. Uh, my plans are to go to DMACC for general eds and then transfer to University of Iowa for pre-dentistry and dentistry. And also, I am going to marry my beautiful fiance, Jules. Okay. Okay. Sounds like a busy year. All right. <laughs> I'm Annalise Fellers. I'm going to go to the University of Evansville in Indiana for computer science. All right. Great. Yay. I'm Emma. I'm planning to go to Dort University in Sioux Center um, for social work. All right. Great. All right. Well, I'd like to I'd like to have our elders uh, who are here come up, and we'll we'll pray for this uh, this group. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Alan, would you mind praying? And we'll just uh, pray for him, okay? God, we are thankful for uh, each of these students uh, here this morning, and uh, we we commit their way to you. Uh, your word says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart." And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Uh, God, we pray that that would be true of these graduates, that you would um, make their path straight, that it would be level before them, that you would remove any stumbling blocks or, or things that may trip them up, that they would uh, set their eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, and, and he is the one uh, that gives us a meaning and a purpose and a goal in this life. Help them run uh, with endurance the race that's set before them. Mm -hmm. And uh, Father, we as a church just pray that we would uh, come alongside them and support them and encourage them and uh, be, um, be the body to them. And uh, we commit their way to you. We praise you and thank you for your faithfulness in each of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Yeah, thanks. I just really encourage you, uh, you know, you guys can go down now. You don't have to stand up here any longer. All right. Thanks. I just encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to say hi to them or to meet or greet them, uh, they have tables set up in the back. Uh, so after the service, please go say hi and, and get to know them a little bit. I would just uh, like to encourage them and challenge them uh, with a passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 8. Paul says, See to it that no man leads you captive by every, uh, by every philosophy or uh, empty deception, uh, after the, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of this world, rather than after Christ. Uh, so let no one, uh, you know, deceive you or take your thoughts captive other than Christ. 
Um, so that'd be my encouragement to you. A couple of other announcements. Uh, young people, I think they're already gone off to Sunday school. If you haven't, you need to go to Sunday school. This is the time for you to leave right now, okay? For young people, this is Sunday school time, so you can leave. I uh, want to remind you that uh, our Haiti team just got back. We got a group of people that just came back from Haiti. So when you look around and see the people that have a tan, you know they're the ones uh, who were in Haiti, okay? So they, they just got back, and so they're, uh, they're all good to go. Uh, just a reminder... They have a boatload of stuff they want to share with you. So don't just go up and say, well, how was your trip? You know, because then that's a half hour, two hour conversation. Okay. If you want to get the short version, you just got to say, okay, give me, give me one highlight from your, from your trip. Could you just tell me one thing that really stuck out to you? Uh, and then just be praying for them. And then, you know, do schedule or do try to find some time when you can actually hear the whole boatload. They, 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 they want to dump. They just need uh, somebody to take time to listen. So we're just grateful that they're back and glad for that. And that's not it because they're planning to go back. Okay, so on the back of the bulletin outline, you have uh, information about a pancake serpion. Uh, and that's going to be a fundraiser for the, the next trip that's, that's coming. So you can read all that in the, in the bulletin. And the last thing that I'm going to announce is uh, Blue Bob's Big Bubba Burger Bash, uh, which uh, is a mouthful, but that's for the, the shins, okay? I think there's an announcement in the bulletin, but they're having something here at the church. So if you like burgers, and they don't even care if you're you know, of their age group. They love having you come. So if you just want to come and hang out and eat a burger and get to know some of our uh, senior saints, uh, that'd be great. They'd love to have you come and join them uh, on Saturday. That's this coming Saturday, not, not now, okay? This is this Saturday. All right, let's pray. Father, uh, we love you, and we thank you that you are uh, a mighty king who saves, and we thank you that you love us, and we pray, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths from your law, that we would understand your grace and mercy and look to you as an ever-present help in the time of our struggles and the time of our need, and knowing that uh, you love us and you care about us, that sometimes the deliverance that is promised is not always fully experienced this side of glory, uh, but we know uh, and we wait and we anticipate uh, that day when we'll be with you. We pray now for the, the Word of God to inform our, our minds and to transform our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a year ago, the, the Iowa State University Cyclone football team started their fall season with a, a bang. You know, they went 3-0, they went and, oh, and it was all downhill after that. Okay, the, after that, it was uh, one of the worst seasons that they've had for a long time. And as I thought about the passage that we're looking at this morning, that's kind of the, the way it is for Saul, King Saul. And the passage we're looking at in chapter 11 of 1 Samuel is exactly that. This is his, this is his great start to what became kind of a not very good life as king. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn because in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 11, we're going to look at Saul's great start, but it is set up by what happened at the end of chapter 10. He was announced to be the king, and then in chapter 10, verse 27, there were some skeptics in the crowd, and, and they said, well, how can this one deliver us? 
chapter 11 is the answer jumps off the page at us as to how this one can deliver us the, the, as, as a newly inaugurated and then as we're going to see the divinely motivated king Saul demonstrated his leadership with a great victory over, over the enemy. So I'm going to begin by reading in chapter 11 uh, verses 1 through 15 and if you'll follow along with me if you don't have a Bible there should be one somewhere in a, under the seat in front of you there and I just give you a, a fair warning. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Some of you have the ESV, some of you have the NIV, and so it reads a little bit differently, but I don't think the sense will be that much, and we'll try to explain it if there is, okay? Now Nahash, the Ammonite, came up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. But Nahash, the Ammonite, said to them, I will make it with you on this condition. That I gouge out the right eye of every one of you, thus I will make it a reproach on Israel. And the elders of Jabesh said to him, Let us alone for seven days, that we may send messengers throughout the territory of Israel, and then if there is no one to deliver us, now your version may say, save us, okay, if there's no one to deliver us or to save us, we will come out to you. Then the messenger came, uh, messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and spoke these words in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And he said, what is the matter with the people that they weep? So they related to him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Saul when he heard these words and he became very angry. And he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of the messenger, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and after Samuel, so it shall be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out as one man. And he numbered them in Bezek, and the uh, sons of Israel were 300,000, the sons of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have deliverance. So the messengers went and told the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Hmm, it's understandable. Uh, then the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out. Okay, now this is in verse 10. Now the men of Jabesh are talking back to Nahash, the leader of the Ammonites, okay? Then the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And it happened the next morning that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp at the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day, and it came about that those who survived were, utter, were scattered so that no two of them left, were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? A reference back to chapter 10, verse 27. Bring them in, that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished deliverance in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come and let us go up to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. And so all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they also offered sacrifices and peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. So in the text, there are three phases in Israel's deliverance from the Ammonites. Okay, under Saul's leadership, I believe, are intended to strongly remind us that only the Lord saves. 
He's the only Savior. He's the only Deliverer. He's the only one who comes and brings this rescue. And the first, the first is the situation requiring our deliverance. What is the situation that they're faced with? What is the situation we're faced with that requires somehow that we be rescued or that we be delivered? Well, we understand that there was trouble brewing in the eastern regions. That's the Ammonites, and I didn't put a map up, uh, but the Ammonites are east of the Jordan River, okay? And they're actually east of the, the, the tribe of Gad, which was across the Jordan River to the east. And so there are these Ammonites, and then uh, the, the people of Gilead were right in there, so thus Jabesh was in Gad, and then the Gileadites, Gileads were there, so that's the Jabesh Gilead, okay? So that's where we get that intermingling of that, that term. Okay, so all the men, uh, you know, so, so Nahash is coming out and he's flexing his military muscle, right in the face of the, the people of Jabesh. And the people of Jabesh are like, okay, we'll serve you, but we want a treaty first, a covenant. And what, what, what's the terms of the covenant? And Nahash says, okay, I'm going to poke your eyes out. I'm just going to poke the right eye of every person in the thing. And, and, and then if you agree to that, then we're good. Well, uh, this would have resulted in an entire city with disabled veterans. Okay? Uh, because it would have made them unable to conduct military operations. I mean, most of them, again... Most of them are right-handed. And so uh, they, they would hold their shield with their left hand and they'd look around the shield with their right eye and to see the enemy coming. Well, nix that. And then the main thing that would happen as a result of this is that Israel, or Israel and Israel's God would be humiliated. That's what, I'm not making, I'm, not, I'm trying not to make this up. If you read the text, it says in the end of verse 2, Thus I will make it a reproach on all of Israel. All of Israel, not just the people of Jabesh, but all of Israel, and thus Israel's God. Uh, in a few chapters, we're going to get to Goliath, David. Think Goliath taunting the armies of the living God. And this is kind of the idea that we, that we have going on here. And so, then what happens next is, I think, fascinating. Nahash was so confident in uh, his superior position, that he surprisingly granted the people of Jabesh a week to get help. It's like, what's going on here? I mean, why would you, why would you if you had your, your thumb on your, on your enemy and they were pushing them, just, oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead, I got this, you know? I, I don't know, that's a, maybe a, a much of an embellishment. But to find, a, and then the Hebrew word that's translated in the New American Standard as deliverer is Savior. Give us a week to find a Savior. Okay? So facing the horrifying prospects of destruction, of domination by the Ammonites, defamation, you know, reproach on them, and possible death, the people of Jabesh said, uh, uh, we will come out to you at the end of this week. Uh, and that's kind of a nebulous term. It doesn't really... Say whether they're coming out to surrender or whether they're coming out to fight. But if after a week we don't have somebody to help us, we'll come out to you. Okay. Uh, now, you think, well, okay, what does that have to do with you and me? Well, they're dreaded circumstances. I mean, we share some of those dreaded circumstances. I mean, some, we, we are subject to defamation as, as God's people. 
Uh, we're subject to death. We're subject to domination by other people. But other things that we're facing that would be a situation we want to be delivered from would, would be diseases, you know. Uh, we pray for people that are sick. Uh, disasters that happen in our life. Uh, disagreements we have with people. I don't know about you, I don't really like conflict. I'm not really a fan of, you know, like uh, somebody offended me or I offended somebody and we got to, it's just kind of, I don't really like that stuff. But we have it in this world and especially, and the closer you get to people, uh, you know, like your family and your friends and if you're married, your spouse, these are the places, the touch points where uh, this disagreement stuff comes in and, and disappointment. And disappointment particularly with life but other people and disillusionment I'm I'm crazy so you think about this just think about the news people harassed on public transportation and some of you know the story about the 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 guy on the subway in 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 New York or whatever Uh, it's people being harassed on what is that about what is the bad about the, you know, in the world, you got the war in Ukraine, you got things about uh, people, you know, young people mutilating themselves in order to try to figure out, you know, their, their identity. And, and, and these things, and then, you know, financial struggles. I mean, those are real right now. I mean, everybody, you know, most everybody's feeling the pinch of, of, of financial challenges, right? And that's just the way it is. Broken ankles, uh, you know, <laughs> one of our... Yeah, I'm picking on Debbie. So Debbie had a, had a broken ankle, you know. And, uh, you know, I could name a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and I shouldn't, that's not fair. Debbie's not here, so I shouldn't pick on her when she's not here. Um, she's watching. Okay, sorry, Debbie. Uh, I shouldn't have mentioned your name. Bad. Uh, maybe that's a HIPAA violation or something. I don't know. Uh, I don't think so, because we were praying for her. Okay. Uh, rewind, stop. Okay, uh, struggles in our marriage we want deliverance right it's not wrong to want you know some of you some of you young people are you got some tests to take right you want deliverance right you you i want salvation from these tests well part of that is you got to work through it but we we encounter situations from which we want to be saved and nahash arrogantly denied you know some of us deny it like we don't need to be saved nahash didn't think he needed to be saved he thought he was in control the people of Jabesh absolutely understood that they needed to be delivered. And some of us are somewhere in between. We kind of think we do, we think we don't, or we're not sure where we're at. Seeking relief from our struggles is natural, and it's not wrong, okay? But we learn from Saul, I think, in his leadership about the source of temporal deliverance, which points us ultimately to the source of our eternal deliverance, our eternal salvation. Every difficulty, every difficulty, all the things I just mentioned, all those difficulties are merely symptoms, okay? They're merely symptoms of a deeper problem. They're symptoms of a deeper disease, depravity, human sin that's in our hearts. And unfortunately, we're, we're prone to focus uh, on treating the symptom and not the disease. But Paul, or Saul, goes on through his leadership and points us to the, the source of this deliverance. And so we get to the, the source resulting in our deliverance in verses 4 through, 4, 4 through 13. And there's three clear statements. There are three clear statements of God's work to bring about this deliverance that I think 
form the, the essence of what we should be talking about in this text. Clear statements that attribute the deliverance directly to God. And the first one is in verse 6, but we're going to get to verse 6, but that's the first one. And so if you looked at the, the, this text and you looked at it, it kind of goes stair steps down to verse 6 and then it stair steps out because it begins with a king who's an oppressor. It ends with a king who is a deliverer. And so there's this, this digression and then progression and it all points ultimately to verse 6 where the Lord came mightily upon Saul. So, and that's the emphasis, I think, of the chapter. The messenger of Jabesh uh, arrived in Gibeah of Saul. And you say, oh, well, I don't know where Gibeah of Saul is. Well, okay, if Jabesh is across the, the Jordan River, Gibeah of Saul is over in Benjamin on the other side of the Jordan River, so they had to they cross a little ways. But perhaps the reason they came to Gibeah, I think, is because in the history of Israel, and I don't have time, I wish I had time to uh, take you into it, but you need to go back, if you would, and read Judges chapters 19 through 22 and you'll get some backstory here all right and so the men of Jabesh probably came there to Gibeah because the folks of Gibeah and the people of, of, of Jabesh were related because the women back in Judges the women of Jabesh were taken and given to the men of Benjamin to repopulate them after they had been decimated by all of Israel because Benjamin had sinned grossly against their own people And when they heard, the people of Gibeah heard of the predicament of the men of people of Jabesh, they wept bitterly. And they lifted up their voices, gut-wrenching, soul-wrenching sorrow. Marlon and I have uh, two, uh, two separate friends uh, that we've had for several years. Now, we're not as close to them as we used to be. But in, within, within like, uh, within like a two-month uh, period of time, we heard that each of them had lost, tragically lost, uh, a child to an unnecessary and, and, and tragic death. It's just every parent's nightmare. You know, it's just the worst thing that could happen to a parent is to hear what they, these people heard. And it's, it's gut-wrenching. But the empathy... Uh, of for for the treachery that was facing their Jewish their Jewish family the the empathy that the people of Gibeah had for those of Jabesh was actually remarkable uh, in my my opinion because Gibeah's compassion is strikingly in, in, in strike in, in striking contrast to their sordid history because the people of Gibeah were known for their perversion known for their self absorption. And now they're actually empathetic towards people who are, are, are suffering. Uh, and so it, they had been the subject of nationwide correction, the people of Gibeah. And now they're showing empathy towards uh, the people of Jabesh. They're, they're turning from their previous corruption and they actually become a source of salvation. So they were all self-absorbed back in Judges chapters 19 20. And now they're like, we can help. We can help. So look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, Now behold, Saul was coming from the field. This is the king. He's been out working in the field. Because in chapter 10, he was sent home. 
And everybody was sent home. And so that's, he didn't hear the news. And so he says, what's up with everybody weeping? And so they informed him of the news. And they told him what was going on. He, he didn't know. So he, was, he wanted to know. And after hearing the report, we get to verse 6. And verse 6 says, then the Spirit of God came upon Saul mightily. If you have your Bibles open, you look at chapter 10, verse 6. And chapter 10, verse 10. You see, the same words Samuel had predicted that the Spirit of God would come mightily on Saul, on Saul and twice, and he did come mightily on Saul. But it's interesting to me that this word, this Hebrew word is used only of Samuel, or Samson, I'm sorry, of Samson in, in, in the book of Judges. So in the same way that the Spirit of God came mightily upon Samson, it's described here that the Spirit of God came mightily upon Saul. So Saul had Samson-like strength, if you will. And this Samson-like power was energizing him. He became angry. All right? And it was equipping him. If we look at verse 7, he was taking the yoke of oxen, he was rallying the troops, he was sending it out, he was telling them to come, and if they didn't come, their oxen would be treated similarly. He was emboldened. He told them in verse 9, you will have deliverance. The Spirit of God was giving him education. <laughs> I mean, his, his strategic tactics in verse 11 are evidence of that. So God's Spirit here, and I think for us, equips and he empowers us for service. God works through his chosen and changed servants to bring about deliverance. You think about William Wilberforce. I mean, he was a godly man in, in England who was basically, I mean, if it wasn't for him, we don't know. But he, he worked to abolish slavery in, in England by the Spirit of God working him. Then verse 7, and he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces. Now, this is really kind of grotesque, but it's, it's not, I don't think, to be missed that he's mimicking exactly what happened back in Judges chapter 19, okay, to rally and mobilize the people. Shocking tactic that was used by the Levite in Judges chapter 19, verse 29, to tell all the people of Israel that what the Gibeonites had done to his, his, his wife were, was abhorrent and needed to be dealt with and so it was motivation for mobilizing the people I wasn't alive I shocked some of you but I wasn't alive on December 7th 1941 but when uh, the when Pearl Harbor was attacked it was a rallying cry for the entire country that we live in and people were mobilized and they rallied and they acted and then he Saul says whoever does not come out to defend Jabesh and I think this, this highlights the irony uh, that those of Jabesh were the only ones who didn't come out. I hope you can follow me on this. I hope I can follow myself on this. But that whoever does not come out to support Jabesh kind of is a play, I think, on the fact that the people of Jabesh were the only ones of all of Israel who did not come out to fight against Benjamin. Back in Judges chapter 19. So he's saying, look, they didn't come out to help you fight against, against Gibeon, against the, the people who had sinned against this Levite's woman, but you're going to come out and fight for them. It was like a wow, a total turnaround, okay? 
Jabesh, whose inhabitants had previously been brutalized by Israel, and then what, because Jabesh didn't come out and fight with Israel, Israel went in and whooped up on them and destroyed them. And that's why they needed to take the women from Jabesh to give to the men of Benjamin because the Israelites had destroyed most of the men of Benjamin. And yet now, Saul is saying, all you men of Benjamin and all you men of Israel are going to go back and you're going to rescue the people of Jabesh who didn't come out to fight with Israel against Benjamin. Talk about the mercy of God. The Jabesh people didn't deserve to be delivered by Israel because they weren't willing to help Israel when Israel needed it. And yet, God is working the mercy of God. Now we see not just the fact that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, but it was Saul's words and his actions in verse 7 that are coupled with what? The dread of the Lord fell upon them. It says at the end of verse 7, the dread of the Lord fell upon the people so that they came out as one man, which the fear of God, whose truth came through Saul, united the people. Then, just as the truth of God's word should be a rallying point that brings submission by God's people today, and also becomes the rallying point that unites us and joins forces against evil. It's the truth of God's word to which we should submit and with which we should be united to fight against evil so that we don't just go ahead and say, and I just read this this morning, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Call light darkness and darkness light. We have to fight against it, but we must know the truth, and the truth will lead us. And that's what he's saying. I I think that's Saul was speaking truth because the Spirit of God was upon him mightily, and the people needed to listen to the truth. Verse 8, and he numbered them, just says there's a bunch of them went out. Okay, that's all you need to know. It was a big army, and they went. And then in verse 9, the messengers of Jabesh left with thrilling news. Now notice the messengers came with news. Now we, we went down into the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And then Saul was out in the field. Now Saul's acting. Now the messengers came. Now the messengers are leaving. But the message the messengers are leaving with is hopeful. Help is on the way. Help is coming. They're, they're, they're going to get uh, deliverance. And the messengers of Jabesh we're told that by this time tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you will experience deliverance. Wow. Okay, that's cool. We're good with that. Uh, five years ago, uh, it'll be five years ago at the end of this month, that we were moving to Urbandale. And uh, we were told that there would be some people to help us. And I mean, we had worked really hard and, and diligently to get the, the, the moving van all packed up. And, and it was a, you know, a big process. And if you've ever moved, you know it's kind of laborious and tedious and tiring and exhausting, actually. And so we, 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 got, we backed up to the house, and the Creekside family showed up in force. And it was a great encouragement to us. And so here we have the, the people of Gibeah are providing that encouragement for the people of Jabesh. They're going to they're gonna help them, and it's going to happen. 
But what the, then, then, then they say, and I told you before in verse 3, it says, we will come out to you. After seven days, we will come out to you. Now look at verse 10. Then the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow we will come out to you. Oh, you started with, we'll come out to you. We're coming back to, we'll come out to you. But we're going to come out to you, and, and, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. So the indescript, uh, or the, the indeterminate description in verse 3, which could mean we're going to fight or we're going to mean surrender, is now, and get this, deceptively presented as we're going to surrender. Now, why do I just say deceptively? Well, you know why. Because they were told that Saul and the boys are coming to rescue them. But they tell Nahash, yeah, we'll come out tomorrow and you just do with us whatever you want. I think it's brilliant. I think they were disarming Nahash. He's already proven to be arrogant, and now he's just going to be more settled in his arrogance. Yeah, this is, whew, this is the easy job. No problem here. They couldn't even, in seven days, they couldn't get anybody to come and help. Now we've got this. It was a, it was a brilliant move, I think, on their part. And then in verse 11, and it happened the next morning, that Saul put the people into three companies. So he's using astute and proven military tactics. All right? And they came out early in the morning, somewhere between probably 2 and 6 a.m. They showed up. So they had to march all night uh, to get there. And they, they, they showed up at, to, with the element of surprise. And boom, it was over. By the time the sun was hot. Now, you see the, the, the progression? They're promised that by the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you're going to be delivered. And the promise is fulfilled. By the time the sun was hot, guess what? You couldn't find two of these uh, Ammonites together. They were so far scattered, you couldn't find two of them in one spot. The mercy of God on Jabesh. Verse 12. Then, (laughs) some of Saul's uh, supporters took the momentum of victory to get vengeance on his enemies, on his skeptics. Hey, remember those guys who said you shouldn't be the king? Again, this is my paraphrase, all right. Uh, I should read it. Shall so, those who said, shall Saul reign over us, which is kind of what the people were saying back in chapter 10, verse 27, when they said, uh, how can this guy deliver us? Let's just off him. You know, they deserve it, right? I mean, they were criticizing the anointed one of, uh, of God. So let's just take them out. And here we see the third, the third statement that declares that God is the one who delivers. What's Saul say? No one's going to die today because the Lord has given a great deliverance over Jabesh. In Israel, among our entire people, he's given this this great deliverance. The Lord, not Saul, accomplished the deliverance. And I think Saul's refusal to exact revenge, I think, evidences another proof that the Spirit was at work in him. And he was extending mercy. So there was mercy extended to Jabesh. There was mercy extended to Israel. There was mercy extended to Jabesh's detractors. And the mercy is not getting what they deserve. And his explanation is this. For today, which emphasizes the Lord's deliverance. For today, 
The Lord has given deliverance. Salvation came to Israel, not because Israel had a king, but because the king had the king. Deliverance came to Israel not because they had a king, which is what they wanted, right? We have a king, we're going to get deliverance. But because Israel's king was empowered by the king. That's the way it always is. Deliverance doesn't come from a king or a person. It comes from the king. It comes from the Lord. Deliverance is from the Lord. And we see that... uh, God is opposed to the proud. It's it's incarnation of this. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a great fall. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Saul's example, I think, is a compelling one, I think, for for all of us who are believers. We're we're permanently, if you're here today and you are trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God didn't come upon you temporarily, though mightily, like it did Saul. He came to dwell within you permanently, to empower us for ministry, for His service, for His glory, as a channel through whom God does His work, not our work, His work. We must put forth the effort to evangelize, to edify, to equip, but all the glory goes to Him. If anything that we do in any work that is accomplished is productive, it is to His glory. He is the King. If there's any victory over the symptoms of sin, any victory over the entire disease of sin, in other words, if people experience some relief from the effects of sin, or if they experience redemption through the blood of Christ, God still gets the credit. Any and every victory or good work of which we are a part is a deliverance the Lord has accomplished. And we best give Him the credit for it. As I was privileged to go to India with Anand, as our team was privileged to be serving in Haiti, If God used those activities for His glory, then we are nothing but the servants, and we better be careful not to take credit for what God is doing. We think not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. You know, the Scripture says, and you can tell me the verses probably, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. You abides in me and I in him. The saying brings forth much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I can do all things uh, in Christ. And apart from Christ, I can do nothing. And it's true for Saul. It's true for us. And so the neat thing here is God's deliverance of Israel from Ammon points ahead. It points ahead to the full and final deliverance from not just the symptom of sin, but the cause of sin. And the one who controls us by sin, the devil. In Hebrews chapter 2, I hope we have this one. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's Christ, 
likewise also partook of the same, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, which is the devil, that is, the devil, and free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. It's only in Christ Saul's victory and deliverance of Israel ultimately points forward to the final victory that we have over all of sin, all of death, all of the symptoms in Christ. Sin separates us from God and we deserve to spend an eternity in torment in hell because He is holy and righteous. God the Father has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon Christ. In His death and His resurrection, He bore the curse we deserve for our sins and satisfied the wrath of God against our sin so that all who put their faith and their trust in Christ will be delivered not only from the presence of sin, but the power of sin. But listen, it's the penalty of sin from which we're delivered, first of all. It's the power of sin we're delivered up, first of all. And then ultimately and finally we'll be delivered from the presence of sin. We're delivered from some of the presence of sin now. Well, you know, I got sick, I got better. You know, know, my girlfriend broke up with me, but then I, I found another one, you know. I lost some money on an investment, but then guess what? I'm still able to eat. So we experience some of the, the deliverances from the, the damage that sin does, but you know what? I'm still going to get sick again. <laughs> you know? And someday I'm going to die physically. But we're not citizens of this world. We're citizens of heaven from which we anxiously wait a Savior who is Christ the Lord because one day it's all going to be set right. It's not here, but it will be. All who believe are saved from the power and the penalty of sin now and one day from its presence and all of the problems that go with it. So I'm not preaching that if we're trusting in Jesus, we don't have problems, but I am preaching that Jesus is the only solution to our problems now and forever. And sometimes he gives us great reprieve from the pain and sorrow now. The last statement that I want us to look at, the last way that Saul's leadership points us to deliverance through Christ is the sensible reaction to our deliverance, which is in verses 14 and 15. In verse 12 it says, Then the people said to Samuel, Who is this that said, Saul, Saul shall reign over us, or shall not reign over us? Bring the men and we'll kill him. And Saul says, No, that's not going to happen. Then in verses 14 and 15, in light of God's marvelous deliverance, how did the people react? Samuel sticks in here and he goes we need to renew the kingdom i i read it and i go what we just had a victory oh but what are the people wanting the people are wanting a victory through a king and samuel is pointing them to the king capital k not to the king small k he's pointing them to the savior not saul i think The the renewal of the kingdom was intended to to restore their focus on God's rule and to refresh their commitment to how an earthly king should function. In in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, we see how that's supposed to happen. We looked at it in chapter 10 and said that he called them and and Samuel wrote these things in, in a book and he placed it before the Lord to remind the people of how they should operate and how they should conduct themselves in the kingdom of God. Let me ask you this. What is a kingdom anyway? We just had a coronation yesterday across the pond, right? A a coronation of, of the king of England. 
But what is a kingdom? A kingdom is comprised of subjects. Samuel wanted to renew the kingdom, to remind the subjects and the vassal king, who was Saul, of who the real king is. And so he said we need to be reminded to be subject and submissive to his word, God's word. Saul's public declaration was in chapter 10, right? And it had just been validated by a public demonstration that he had kingly qualities because of the victory, all right? Through this kingly deliverance, it set the stage for his public confirmation, which is what happens in verses 14 and 15. He's publicly confirmed. This was his coronation, just like the king of England was the king of England back in October. But now he's confirmed to be the king of England because they had all the pomp and circumstance. Verse 15, so all the people, all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord. Okay, Saul initiated what he's going to punctuate in chapter 12, and that is that Israel was still a theocracy. And a theocracy means that God is in charge, okay? And the, 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 the monarchy can only succeed. Whatever Saul's doing can only succeed if the people and the king realize that God is still in charge. That God is really the king. Conduct themselves in submission to the true king. That's what it means to renew the kingdom. You have to renew your commitment to allegiance to God Almighty. He is the king and don't forget it. God's accommodation for their rebellion. Whose rebellion? The people of Israel. This began in chapter 8. Oh, Samuel... We want a king, just like the other nations. That rebellion, God's accommodation in providing them a king for that rebellion, culminated in Saul's confirmation, which was a cause for great celebration. The mercy of God. God sometimes gives us what we stupidly ask for anyway because of his mercy, because of his grace. Because he cares. The generosity and mercy of God in providing the king rightly ends with a renewal to surrender completely to God and his rule in their lives. And I think about it. God's mercy in our salvation. None of us here deserves his mercy. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty. Where? At Calvary. I deserve judgment, and so do you. But in his mercy, he saves us. In his mercy, he sanctifies us. In his mercy, he's patient with us, and he's kind to us, and he keeps putting up with our stupidity and us being knuckleheads, and he still is gracious, and he doesn't zap us. He's working with us, and it says in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Because... You know, sometimes it's three steps backwards uh, and one step forwards. And you're thinking, oh, and he is so gracious to us. God's mercy and our salvation and daily sanctification should inspire us to renew our commitment and allegiance to him as the king and our allegiance to his word, our submission to his word. That's the truth. You see, it's the word of God. God has, has given it to him. His rule in our lives. Jesus said it, seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And what does it mean to renew allegiance to the kingdom for us? It means to actually live out what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 verses, well not just what Jesus says there, but it includes certainly that, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Obedience to his word and particularly Jesus hammered this one, to love one another. And what does loving one another look like? Well, uh, just like Jesus, in the same way that Christ loved you. And how was that? He died. I don't like, I don't like reading that sometimes. I'm supposed to die for you. Not, well, maybe physically, but for sure, emotionally, spiritually, I'm supposed to lay it on the line. And for those that are people, that are my kids, my wife, my friends, just die. That's all he asks. And so if you are considering following Christ, get this. He asks us to take up our cross, oh, once in a while, every single day, and die to me. And you know, I can't do that, but he can do it in me. He who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. I can do all things through who? Steve Smith. Not. Through Christ who strengthens me. This is his power working in me mightily, in you mightily, to accomplish his purposes for his glory. What great things has God done that will prompt us to renew our commitment to his rule? That's the kingdom. It is a rule. We're a slave, folks. We're either a slave of sin or a slave of Christ. Pick your master. That's what it amounts to. What things? I think the Word of God is something that prompts me to renew my commitment to His rule. The reality of it, the preservation of it, the teaching of it, what it, it means that we possess and profess. The work of God that we witness in people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. The work of God we witness in people growing and maturing in their walk with Christ is a reason to renew my commitment to the Word of God. The wonder of a God who would send His Son to die on the cross so we could be pardoned. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. He's a master. He's the only master worth following. He's the only master worth submitting to. And we do great disservice if we don't. So if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I pray that we would let the, uh, that you, our, our sin would lead us into the reality of, of, of trusting Him. Let, let the consequences, the adverse consequences that we face, and the realities of this fallen world, they're, they're challenging. But that's all right. In any and every situation, we understand that salvation comes from God. It's His deliverance. It's found only in the Lord, but it's not always found in this world. I want to echo that. Deliverance is found in the Lord, but not always in this world. The deepest ache in your heart that you know may not always be satiated right here in, on this world, on this earth. And in fact, it won't be, but even the, the, the taste of it may not get here. But it will in, in Christ eventually. Rejoice in what Christ has done in our salvation and renew our allegiance to live our lives for Him. He's the only hope for victory. He's the only hope for this personal 
victory. He's the only hope in the world. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, here's my challenge. There's no deliverance from the power of sin. There's no deliverance from the penalty of sin. There's no deliverance from the presence of sin. There's no deliverance from the problems of sin apart from Christ. And I implore you to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ in Him alone. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be delivered, not from every problem you have now, but you will be delivered from the problem that's sending you to hell and ultimately you'll be delivered from every problem you face now. So trust Him today. And as we close, we uh, celebrate the King and what He did to make it possible for us to be fully and finally delivered from sin's penalty and sin's power now and ultimately from its presence and its problems. And we remember it through the taking of the bread and the, and the cup, which reminds us of his sacrifice so that all who trust him can experience this deliverance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. I pray for your grace and mercy. Help us to see in our great king the deliverance that we all long for. And I pray that you would help us to examine our hearts to take these elements, the, the bread and the, and the juice that symbolize your death, Lord Jesus, and your sacrifice. Help us to take them in a worthy manner. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.